0: Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of Midweek Rise Up. It's E! And I wanted to share with you an awesome moment I recently had at Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano with my dear friend Michelle Randall. I had the honor of speaking at her women's conference called The Good Things, based off of Titus chapter 2, verse 3. In this message, I'll be honest, I really didn't hold back, as per usual. And I talked about how to be a godly woman in a godless society. So if you need some encouragement today, you're at the right place. It's time to be the woman God has called you to be, a woman of the word and not of the world. I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a message that God really placed on my heart to share, and I pray that it resonates with you during the season of life that you're in. God bless you guys, and go rise up. I love you guys, thank you so much for just being in my life. Uh, Ironically enough, when I was preparing for this message, I was in Las Vegas for 10 days too long, and (laughs) I thought to myself, how ironic that I'm here, while you'll see why in a minute when we read through these verses, and I just had the time to be a little bit more observant than I usually was in Las Vegas, looking at the way women were dressing, looking at the way women were portrayed on the billboards, looking at the swimsuits or lack thereof at the pools, uh, just completely kind of just put into a position of wow, the juxtaposition of the world and the world is so, whoops, that's my my notes and I stick them in my Bible. <laughs> um, just the juxtaposition of the word and the world was just unbelievably noticeable. And so when I first had that call with Michelle and I was in Las Vegas, she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm not leaving my hotel room. <laughs> uh, she, we were talking about uh, these, these verses, and I just was so moved and convicted by these verses. I just was, I kind of just sat there, and I thought to myself, we need to be a little bit more aggressive with these two verses that we're about to read, not just oh, these are great. Let's put them in our little journal. No, like marinate in them. Like have your heart stirred and saturated by them, like so convicted by them. And the verses we're going to be focusing on is uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And as we break apart these verses, you might think to yourself, wow, none of that is what the world says about what a woman should be. And that's exactly... Right, because you're not a woman of the world. And so, quick background on the book of Titus. I don't know if you guys have done it, it's a super Spark Notes version, but it's Paul's letter to Titus. And Titus was tasked with visiting Crete, Greece, which is ironic because me being in Las Vegas and Crete, Greece is very similar because Crete, Greece was known to be a very sin sinful place, corrupted place. And Titus was in charge of restoring order to the house churches in Crete, Greece, and he was replacing the corrupt teachers with godly leaders. And the whole point of Paul's letter to Titus was to be able to explain that being a Christian and living a Christ-filled life is a matter of learning and training. So in order to learn and train, you have to have your priorities straight. You have to have your priorities straight. So I want to encourage you today with the scripture that we're about to dig into uh, that this is your radical declaration. This is your radical declaration that you as a Christian woman are going to be breaking away from culture and you are choosing to live a life worthy of Christ, that you are choosing kingdom over culture, that you are making your body a living sacrifice. You are using your one life as an example to the generations above you and the generations below you, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and that you are taking a radical break from what you see on social media, what you read in magazines, what you see, what a worldly woman is supposed to be, and radically declare that you are instead a woman of the word. So it's time for boldness. I know Carrie and Michelle have both been bringing that up lately, and it's true. It's time for boldness. It's, it's a crazy world we live in and it's time to make it known that we as Christian women, we do, live, we do live differently than the world and we're okay with that. We're actually proud of that and if you're not, you should be. You should be proud that you live different than the world and you should be empowered by that because you were chosen for such a time as this. You know, I've come to realize that there are a few things in life that have a greater impact on the world than a reverent woman. Really let that sink in because there's something unique and something special and really something so beautiful about a holy woman. Elizabeth Elliot once said, and this is one of my favorite quotes. She said, "The fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. But the fact that I am a Christian" makes me a different kind of woman. That's so powerful. And, and our world is becoming more and more godless. That is no secret. You see it on full display. And I can't tell you how many times people have come up to Charlie and I at different events and just say, gosh, how do you guys do it? How do you guys stand for truth? How do you defend this? How do you be a voice for the voiceless? How do you do that and do you, uh, all of this? And, and every time with all due respect, I tell them, how could you not? How could you not? People are more afraid to live a life according to the word of God and more easily inclined to adopt the doctrine of immorality because it's the easy, sinful way of living. We have Christians all over the world, now in the Middle East, that have to literally run to the mountains to hide because they're afraid of getting killed and murdered for being Christian. But yet we're too afraid to tell our neighbor about Jesus Christ because we're embarrassed that they might look at us differently or be like, hey, we're not going to invite you over to the party anymore because you have these different views than us. And I, I, I don't mean to be super intense, but I told Michelle, I was like, I hope they're is I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive today than usual, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but there is a price to pay for being godly. And if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, please consider yourself blessed. We may be ridiculed, face discrimination, lose your job, lose friends. To me, that's considered first world problems. But God has told us, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And that should empower us to boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So how do we live a godly life in a godless society? As young women, as women in general, wives, mothers, Christian women, this is how. This is how, and and Paul laid it out for us. So let's open up our Bibles or Bible apps. My husband would kill me if I said Bible apps. Uh, To Titus chapter two, verses four and five, he goes on this whole rant about why you should not use a Bible app. Also, by the way, just to give uh, a little update on our schedule, because we're going to be roaming around California this weekend. Uh, If any of you are close to Thousand Oaks, uh, he'll be speaking tonight at Godspeak. And then tomorrow we will be, is tomorrow Sunday? My days are so blended. Uh, Tomorrow we'll be at Signal Hill, uh, Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill with Pastor James Cadiz, three services. And then at night, we're coming back here to be with you guys. He'll be uh, speaking tomorrow night. And then Monday, Monday, we're going back to Signal Hill, Calvary Chapel uh, for a women's Bible study that's going to be on Monday night. So okay, Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And scripture says, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. So I know there's a lot to unpack here. We'll go verse by verse because it's important for us to really understand uh, why it's important for us to radically declare as a godly woman while we're going against today's culture. So here are five radical declarations on how to be a godly woman in a godless society. Point number one, train the young women to love their husbands and children. How many in here have been married for three years or less? Ah, me too. (laughs) Uh, They say that the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the woman listens. And then the second year of marriage, the woman speaks and the man listens, God bless you. And the third year of marriage, they both speak and the neighbors listen. (laughs) So we're on track. (laughs) Uh, But in our culture today, we have a tendency to overuse the word love. And it's almost as if we water it down Uh, and lose the the meaning and the weight and the beauty of the word love. And I always respected in the Spanish culture that they intentionally use a different word for love. So for instance, a deeper type of love that you would have for your your spouse is te amo. Uh, And if a lighter type of love that you would say for a friend or um, just not as heavy as a spouse um, is te quiero. So there's two different versions, which I think is great because we say I love my husband and I love chocolate and it just kind of <laughs> blends together and it shouldn't. So, but it's interesting that in, in Titus chapter 2 verses 4, Paul was very intentional with the word love that he used here. It's actually, the, in the original Greek, it's the word philandros. And it's important to note that this is the only time that Paul used this word in in the New Testament. And philandros uh, was used to describe the love between a wife and a husband. And if you break apart the word philos, which is a loving friend, and aner, which is a husband or the male companion to a wife, when you properly put it together, it's the affection that a wife, the deep, deep affection that a wife has For her husband, viewing him and embracing him as her calling, as her stewardship from God. And one commentator explained, this type of love a wife has for her husband is to help and assist them all they can, to seek their honor and interest, to endeavor to please them in all things, to secure peace, harmony, and union, to carry it affectionately to them and sympathize with them in all afflictions and distresses. And what about loving their children? The commentator continues, "'Mothers are to love their children, "'not with a fond, foolish, and loose, "'ungoverned affection, but so as to seek their real good, "'and not only their temporal, "'but spiritual and eternal welfare, "'to bring them up in the nurture and admonition "'of the Lord, and to use and keep "'proper discipline over them.'" So in short, love is action. It's not a passive word, it's not just a feeling. You choose to love someone even when they aren't lovable, just how someone chooses to love you when you're not lovable yourself. It's about having your priorities straight with regards to relationships. And I have seen this time and time again, even coastal differences. Like when I was living in New York, the types of relationships that I would have that were work-related were very transactional. Nice to meet you, do business, go on. In LA, it was like, hey, nice to meet you, but what are you going to do for me? <laughs> One yes closer to being on the silver screen. Like, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting, the worldly relationships that we have and how we prioritize them. And of course, the worldly mindset is, yeah, but what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? And I thought to myself, can you imagine if Jesus said that? Can you imagine if he was like, why do I have to go to the cross for you? You're so unlovable. I don't wanna die for your sins. You're so annoying. I don't wanna serve you today. And I know it's sometimes hard to love someone that you deem unlovable at the time, but you have have to radically reject the mindset of what is in it for me because the most important relationship as a young woman and as a wife, aside from your relationship with Jesus Christ, is your relationship with your husband and your children. One thing uh, that Charlie and I do that might encourage you uh, is that we daily check in with each other and say, how can I serve you today? How can I make your day better? We're always running around like crazy, but just those two questions help just balance and center things. From a motherly perspective, I truly believe you cannot be a mother without having a servant's heart. I I truly believe it, and I saw it in full technicolor with my mom growing up. And, and the way she raised me. And she lived and lives a, a life of, of service and sacrifice. But hear me when I say this for young mothers especially. Children are not an inconvenience to your dreams. They're not, they're, they're not an inconvenience to your job or to your worldly demands. The mindset of this world is, get what you want out of life. You're a boss babe. You don't need a husband. You can have a work husband. You leave him at the office and you'll see him tomorrow at the water cooler. He doesn't need a wife. He has a work wife. You don't need kids. You don't want to bring kids into this world we live in, do you? We're here to be servants for Christ, just as Lord came down, just as our Lord came down to serve and not be served. He showed us through his love and action. In spite of her unworthiness and deficiencies, the Lord still loved his bride the church. And although he sees his bride filthy, needing to be cleansed, deep in her vileness, he still loved and loves her. This this is the height of the doctrine of salvation. God loved us in spite of what was in us. And you are the recipient of undeserved grace and undeserved love and mercy and service that Jesus Christ willingly gave to you, to all of us, So remember point number one, train the young women to love their husbands and children. As godly women, the greatness of the kingdom belongs to the one that makes themselves a servant. And your service starts with those that are within your closest circle, your husband and your children, not your coworkers, not your best friends. With the spirit of Christ flowing in your veins, the priority is your husband and your children. So, going to point number two, as we radically declare we are women of the world and not uh, women of the word and not of the world, verse number five says to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. So, point number two on how to be a godly woman in a godless society be self controlled and pure. There's a reason why this verse follows the verse above where it says to love your husband and children, because I I believe that if and when you're not loving, you're more easily able to be angry and you're more easily able to be controlled by your emotions and when you're more quick to anger. That can be very, very dangerous. Anger is a very dangerous emotion. Now, now mind you, there's a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. We see this in scripture. Jesus was a perfect example of this. His anger was righteous. Unrighteous anger is when you let your emotions guide you instead of letting them be a gauge. So be self-controlled in your words in your thoughts, in your emotions, and in your actions. Rule your spirit. Have time to make a self-assessment. And if you find yourself that you're having issues with getting angry and you're irritable all the time, just pray to God for deliverance and wisdom and patience. And just be really self-aware. Do not let your flesh take over, which flows perfectly into the topic of purity. Be pure. Not only in the way you act, but also in the way you look and how you speak and how you think. Our culture thinks that purity is prudish, that it's out of date. Call me old school, but I think a 16-year-old should dress like a (laughs) 16-year-old. I think a young woman should dress like a young woman. I I believe that you should should buy clothes that fit your body and not try to fit your your body into clothes that don't fit. Because there's a season of life for everything. And we have a tendency as women to try and skip seasons of womanhood because we're looking at over here versus where you are right then and there. And I think that God has you in a specific season of womanhood because there's lessons that you need to learn. So if you go from being 12 to wanting to be 22, there's going to be a lot of heartache in between because there's a lot of lessons that you didn't learn. Embrace the self-control and purity of each season. And if you don't know what this looks like, take some time to reflect back on your life and think to yourself, what were moments in my life where I sacrificed purity or where I protected it? And not to call out the single girls in here, but I am going to. (laughs) Build in the season of waiting. We hate the season of waiting. But there's something so beautiful about it, something so beautiful about the season of waiting, because it gives you time to work on yourself and to make yourself a more godly woman for the man that God's preparing for you. Get off the dating apps, please. Swim in a stream of significance. The time is worth the investment. There's no point in dating just to date. It's a waste of your time, and it's a waste of theirs. And giving your body away as a peace offering to the world around you so you can be accepted. You're not a part of Coachella Christianity where you just go with the flow and what your friends are doing and hippie Christianity. That's not what this is about. Where you have to stop chasing after men. If they were meant to stay, they'd stay. You never have to convince someone to love you if they truly and deeply love you. And we have a tendency to elevate chemistry over commitment. And when you're on these apps, you're just swiping left and right, putting your faith in this ridiculous algorithm, rather than taking the time to sitting at home, swiping your Bible pages left and right, trusting in God. Take up a new recreational activity. I don't know, go to a soup kitchen, walk dogs, serve. There's a lot of fun things to do out there instead of sitting at home swiping on a nap. So occupy yourself with activities that are fruitful and rewarding. And as you're doing your thing and as you're running your race and as you're in your lane, there will be a man that God has created for you, prepared for you, that will be running right next to you. I can speak from experience. And when you turn and you see him and he sees you, he won't be like, come over here and come in my lane. He'll keep running right next to you. Don't feel like you're running out of time to find the one. That's the enemy. Your physical body is for your husband. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but please stop having sex outside of the confines of marriage. If you've had sex outside of the confines of marriage, there is forgiveness and there is grace for that. If you have wholeheartedly repented and turned away from that sin and you've made the commitment to save yourself, there's grace there. There's mercy there and forgiveness and love. But put yourself on a path of self-discipline and be pure and wait. Like I said a minute ago, God has a specific order th- of order things to protect you, not to harm you, not to make life less fun, but to protect your heart and your, your, your physical and mental health in your future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 and 20, it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And again, this is being a radical, radical woman today if you decide to be pure and to wait. So do it. Don't give in to the sex sells culture. Remain pure. Stop trying to justify sin. It's not cute. Sin is not sexy, and it's not cute. Stop trying to justify it. And I tell you what, sinning like that, it's not attracting your future husband. And it's actually probably delaying you from meeting your future husband because if you can't honor your future husband before you meet him with your, in your words and actions, what makes you think that you will once you do? Adorn yourself with good words. And a side note to that, stop cussing. Please stop cussing. It's so lazy. It's so lazy. Our language is beautiful. We have so many other words to use. So be pure in tongue. Be a Proverbs 31 woman. The woman that God needs you to be for the man that he has prepared for you and he's preparing for you because a truly Christ-like woman is so beautiful. She's so beautiful, more beautiful than any amount of makeup, designer clothes. Christ-like holy woman is a pure woman. And she's a work of art that brings glory to the ultimate artist. And this type of beauty, it's, it's beauty and purity. It's, it's not just natural, it's also taught. It's also passed down from mentors and parents and people in your life that have spoken into you. So be pure, be self-controlled, be obedient to the life that God has called you to. And do not make decisions based off of self-centeredness and cultural conditioning. Make decisions that are in alignment with scripture and God's will for your life. So point number three on how to be a godly woman in a godless society working at home. This was a very tough one for me. Very tough. I uh, I do not have a white picket house fence lifestyle. I just don't. I knew that when I was signing up for it. And I don't say that for sympathy. I say that as a self-reflection point, because we are literally on the road 350 days a year. We counted it out on the plane the other day. <laughs> uh, and and again, it's, it's something I knew that I was signing up for. So I, I'm fine with it. But I really sat with this for a minute because I was raised with a working mom. And I don't count her as a traditional norm for a working mom. She always put me first. She never missed a basketball game. Mind you, I played in college in a different state, and she came to every single game. She was always there. I remember when I was seven. She had just got LASIK eye surgery before it was cool, so they totally messed up on her eyes. (laughs) And so I was the lead pilgrim in this pilgrim play. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting there on stage, and my mom came in, like 10 minutes in. She had blinders on her eyes, could not see a thing, but she was there. She was there. I was like, Mom, how was the play? It was great. (laughs) Oh, she's amazing. when I read this verse and I dug into it more, I asked myself, what's the deeper message here? Because sometimes we just read it over and say, workers at home. And without getting caught up in the woman's place should be in the kitchen or locked up inside their home like the world would tell you as they're trying to make you feel inferior for being a, a Christian woman, that's not how. That's not. That's not at all what it says. The oldest manuscript has it translated as workers at home and keepers at home. And the Greek translation, this is so cool, the Greek translation expresses this sentiment as the guardian of the house. How cool is that? You are the guardian of the house. And in order to be a guardian of something, you have to be a leader within that domain, within that territory. The threat of biblical righteousness is not that a woman would be home too much, it's that the woman would be home too little. You have to think of home more than just your four walls and just the people that are within those four walls. I get that. Not everyone's home life looks the same. I speak from experience with my own, with my own, my own mom. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I realize that a majority of instances, both parents are in the workforce trying to make it work. But remember this about being the guardian of the house. Be involved with what your kids are doing, saying, and learning. Just like Carrie said, know your school board members. Know what your kids are learning and being a part of. And be there for your husband, for encouragement. Because the home is your territory. And the devil would love nothing more than that territory. And he'll plant seeds in your head and be like, oh, you're a stay-at-home mom? (laughs) Really? Well, Bethany over here is like selling oils and just got a brand new Range Rover. So what are you doing with your life? (laughs) But He'll use that as a mental weapon. Everyone's home life looks different. Mine is dressed in TSA lines, a one-drawer suitcase, and being in and out of hotel rooms. But that's the life that God has called me to be. And that is my home because my husband wants us to always be traveling together. So if you're a working mom like mine was, I respect that. I totally respect that. And God sees your heart. The only thing I ask is that you never prioritize your work over your children. And you keep your heart with your family. And you keep your heart outside of the workplace. And you guard it. And you always choose home first. So get your house in order. Shift your perspective from I have to to I get to. And be attentive to the duties in your family. And don't get caught up in someone else's household and trying to keep up with the Joneses. Not everyone is meant to be a female entrepreneur. Not everyone is meant to be a social media influencer. Who cares if you have 95 followers? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The home is a safe space where each family member can feel valued and where they can be vulnerable, where they can be cherished and respected. Don't diminish that beautiful privilege of being its guardian. And point number four on how to be a godly woman in a godless society, be kind. (laughs) And I don't say that as a weakness. So many people think, oh, if I have to be kind, I have to be weak. It's actually the opposite. Because in order to be kind, you have to see someone through the eyes of Jesus. You have to see them how Jesus sees them. And you have to be able to look at the condition of their heart. Yes, words are powerful. They are. We talked about that last time I was here. It is possible for a Christian to let his or her tongue become an instrument of the devil. And the most likely way for this to happen is by slander. The devil is the father of slander. And so when we let our tongue be used in this way, we are tools being used for his purpose. Your words can either be life-giving, or life-taking. So, what kind of what kind of compassion and kindness do you carry in your heart? Is it self-centered or Christ-centered? I'm not a huge horseback rider. I've been horseback riding a few times, and every time I go horseback riding, I always get the horse that has ADHD, goes <laughs> off the trail, eats all the berries off the bush. I'm like 15 miles behind. Everyone's down this way, and I'm just standing there with Fred. It happens all the time, and every It doesn't matter where I am. All of the caretakers of the horses say the same thing. And if you guys are horse owners, you know that this is to be true. If you pull on the reins, the horse moves its head. Why? Because there's a bridle in their mouth against their tongue. This horse, horses are huge, but just by simply going like this, you move the whole body. That's similar. To how we are with bridling our tongue. Learn to control what you speak and what you don't because our life usually will go to the direction of our tongue because what is planted in your heart comes out of your mouth and produces the issues of your life. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. Stop comparing yourself to the woman next to you She is not your competition. She is not. Stop craving to be someone else other than yourself. Your DNA sequence was not a mistake. It wasn't. And so I asked with the last four months of 2021, four months, four and a half months, time's flying, uh, choose your friends wisely. I want to challenge you uh, on this topic of kindness to challenge yourself and your conversations with your friends to not be speaking about other people. Remove yourself from conversations that involve talking poorly about other people. There are so many other things to talk about, so many other things going on in this world. Seek to build others up, not tear them down, and make your word your bond. And finally, point number five on how to be a godly woman in a godless society. It says, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. When I said this verse out loud, my mom my mom goes, yeah, your own husband, not your neighbor's husband. And I was like, what? <laughs> like peanut gallery. And then she just kind of walked away. I was like, OK, great. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. But anyways, uh, for one of my favorite things, like I said up here, was um, premarital. I loved it. And not so much so because I I uh, didn't know anything about Charlie. Like I said, it had nothing to do with it. I was fascinated with being able to understand what it truly meant to be a biblical wife and to truly be able to have a biblical marriage and to truly be able to be a united front and a united force against the enemy. I thought that was unbelievably powerful. And so when anyone ever is about to get married, I'm like, please do premarital. And they're like, that's counseling. I'm like, no, it's so much more than that. Find someone in your church, find someone you trust, find someone who's used to doing premarital counseling. It's amazing. I have seen marriages not go through with it because they they saved a lot of heartache and they saved a potential divorce. And now they're thanking themselves because now they're actually married to who they're supposed to be married to. But what I learned In premarital, amongst many other things, was this exact topic, of being submissive to your own husband that the word of God may not be reviled. And Paul used a very specific word in this verse, hupotasso, which properly means being under God's arrangement as to being submissive. And the Greek word is unassuming, and it's a passive voice, which carries a sense of subjecting oneself to a person worthy of respect. It's it's a voluntary voluntary decision of submitting oneself to another person. So there's a difference between being submissive and having submission versus obedience. Obedience would imply that there's force, some kind of forced action behind that. So for instance, we have a family dog named Rudy. Rudy, this little dog uh, tyrant. uh, He is obedient and conditioned to obey certain commands. Rudy will never be submissive. He'll be obedient, but he'll never be submissive. The whole idea behind being submissive is that I am literally choosing on my own to willfully put myself under the leadership of my husband because I respect you. And here in Titus, it implies that as a woman, this isn't about you being kept or being forced into obeying your husband. I respect Charlie so much that I properly order myself under his authority out of respect for him and love for him. He didn't condition me to obey him. That's not, that's not what our marriage is. Rather, I made a willful decision to submit. Because the man and the woman, they're made for one another. They are mutual comforts and blessings. One is not a slave and the other a tyrant. So many people inside and outside of the church completely manipulate and take out of context Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. And and in a broader sense, we are also called to submit to one another because it's a quality of being a Christian, submitting to and serving one another. So before we dig into the famous Ephesians 22 and 23, I think it's also important to read Ephesians 21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. And now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So within these verses, you have the demand of mutual submission amongst all believers, to serve one another as Christ has served us, and the relationship between a husband and wife, which highlights the doctrine of the church and the relationship of the church to Christ. Christ gave himself up for the church, that he might be, that he might sanctify it in this world and glorify it in the next. Marriage requires falling in love a lot of times, but with the same person. And the biblical position is not, what can I get out of you, but what can I give to you? But go with me on this. I, I feel that the reason in Ephesians the wives are addressed first is because if the wives don't do their part first, everything falls out of order. I really believe that because if the wives don't fulfill their responsibility, it's almost impossible for their husband to fulfill his The wife has the key to either open the door or close the door for her husband's fulfillment. So here's what I mean. If you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, you can get a better understanding of this order since I said earlier, our God is a God of order, and he gives us order to protect us from ourselves. And part of the curse that we're left with from the Garden of Eden is that women's natural desire is to rule over man. It's to rule over their husband, and this curse totally disrupts the order that God has placed upon his original creation. Women were created to be a suitable helper, a partner who compliments their husband and supports him, respects him, and honors him. Please don't think a suitable helper is someone who's inferior. So many people get that wrong. They think, oh, helper means inferior. Hear me when I say this, there is no superior and no inferior in the body of Christ. There is no superior or inferior in the body of Christ. Each one of us is given a place and a job. And it requires us to be faithful in that particular place and job that God has has assigned us to. One of my favorite movies is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. How many of you have seen that movie? I love that movie. I could watch it on repeat. <clears throat> and so there's a point in the movie where the mom and the daughter are talking about this one moment before they're about to, before she's about to get married, and she's trying to convince the father to do something that he does not want to do. And they have the whole, all of the women are everywhere. It's total chaos. It's like absolute mayhem. And... <laughs> The mom, she's like, don't worry, don't worry. She's like, the man is the head, but the woman, the woman is the neck. And the neck can make the head move whatever way she wants. (laughs) And I just was like, exactly. Because if you picture the physical body, and it's not meant to be manipulative. Some people are like, oh, I'll move the head wherever I want because I'm going to manipulate my husband. That has nothing to do with it. If you picture the physical body, you can't move your head without your neck. You can't. You, your head is supported by your whole body. And it determines which way the head will turn because a wise husband will listen to a wise wife. He will. He will. Realize the God-given authority of your husband and live in peaceable cooperation with his leadership as long as it does not lead to sin. That's God's design because a divided household cannot stand and we're seeing that even right now within, uh, within churches and within our community. But real quick, I wanna to touch on something for the young women who aren't married yet. Uh, hear me when I say this, do not rush into getting married. Please marry wisely because you are choosing a man that you believe can actually lead you. Date him long enough to be able to see his character and his leadership ability. You need to be able to see if this man will abuse his power over you. You need to be able to see how he responds in pressure. You need to be able to see how he treats his mom. It's important. You need to be able to also see how he treats his coworkers and his friends. And don't say to yourself, oh, he's just intense with them. Because that will bleed into your own relationship. It's important. And when you recognize that, remove yourself from those emotions and say, eh, we're done here. We're done here. And move on because whoever is meant for you that God has meant for you will not pass you by. He won't pass you by. And honor God by living in the word and the word way and not the worldly way because it's very hard to influence the world when you look just like it. There's a lot of responsibility that falls under these verses in Titus, a lot. And the world is watching you, whether you're a mom or a wife single, the world's watching you. And they would love nothing more than to have a foothold, to be able to say, see, you hypocrite. Your home, no matter the size, no matter the people, no matter the definition of the four walls, impacts the way the word of God is perceived in the eyes of those who are watching. I know some people probably have the Joshua chapter twenty-four, fifteen verse in their kitchen. It says, as for me and my household, I serve the Lord. Make sure your life reflects that. Make sure your life reflects that fully and is backed by actionable love and uphold and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Be a stunning testimony against this crazy feminist agenda that is being shoved down our throat. Be a testimony against that. Being bold and with your five radical declarations, being able to love your husband and your children being able to be self-controlled and pure and being proud of that, being able to be guardians of the home and being proud of that, being kind and submissive to your own husband, that is a beautiful holy woman. That is a woman that when she approaches the, the judgment seat where believers meet their Lord, he will bless her and he will affirm her and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Be an example of what Christ can do in this life through a person who is submissive to his lordship. So, in closing, I'll leave you with this story. The author is unknown, but it's a short story illustration titled Letter from God to Woman. And it says When I created the heavens and the earth, I spoke them into being. When I created man, I formed him and breathed life into his nostrils. But you, woman, I fashioned after I breathed the breath of life into man because your nostrils are too delicate. I allowed a deep sleep to come over him so I could patiently and perfectly fashion you. Man was put to sleep so that he could not interfere with the creativity. From one bone, I fashioned you. I chose the bone that protects man's life. I chose the rib which protects his heart and his lungs and supports him as you are meant to do. Around this one bone, I shaped you. I molded you. I created you perfectly and beautifully. Your characteristics are as the rib, strong yet delicate and fragile. You provide protection for the most delicate organ in man, his heart. His heart is the center of his being. His lungs hold the breath of life. The ribcage will allow itself to be broken before it will allow damage to the heart. Support man as the ribcage supports the body. You were not taken from his feet to be under him, nor were you taken from his head to be above him. You were taken from his side to stand beside him and be held close to his side. Adam walked with me in the cool of the day, yet he was lonely. He could not see me or touch me. He could only feel me. So everything I wanted Adam to share and experience with me, I fashioned in you. My holiness, my strength, my purity, my love, my protection and support. You are special because you are an extension of me. Man represents my image, woman, my emotions. Together, you represent the totality of God. So it's time to be a woman, a strong Christian woman, a woman that God has called you to be, a woman of the word and not of the world. I'm so proud of you guys. Continue to fight. Keep being bold. You guys are loved. Go rise up. Thanks for joining us today. I hope that these words encouraged and challenged you and postured your heart for the rest of the week ahead. If you have a minute, go to the subscribe and review section of this podcast. Leave us a word or a Bible verse that you've been carrying in your heart throughout the week that really keeps you encouraged and motivated. I really want to make this podcast review space almost like that added bookmark for the simple reminder that we're all in this together and that God's got this. Feel free to share this episode with your friends, family, or on social media. Also, for more information on Bible in 365 and Proclaim Streetwear, please click the links below. We're so grateful to have you join us right here on Midweek Rise Up.